0: Sports Gambling Podcast Network and Inside Vegas Podcast are brought to you by MyBookie.ag. MyBookie.ag is the official online sports book of the Sports Gambling Podcast Network and the Inside Vegas Podcast. We're also brought to you by Oddshark. Get free picks from the supercomputer and expert writing staff, as well as betting stats and trends that you won't find anywhere else. And finally, we are brought to you by BetQL, the only app that puts the knowledge you need to make smart bets in the palm of your hand. Log on to BetQL.co today. Happy Monday to you and welcome into the Inside Vegas podcast. This one's very special, guys. If you enjoyed the Risk Manager, Tom Drewel from CGT uh, Cantor Gaming in Las Vegas, you're going to love this one. As we touched on with the Risk Manager and uh, Tom, there's so much to dive into in the you know, on that side of the counter and for this episode we're going to take that a step further there was you guys can go back and listen there's a two part uh, interview that we did with him talking all things risk management which in is really why lines move how they move what moves them and everything that goes into that <clears throat> for this episode we brought in AG AG is the official Head odds maker for mybookie.ag. And as you know, mybookie.ag is the official online sports book of the Sports Gaming Podcast Network and the Inside Vegas podcast. Mybookie.ag and SGP have been together in a partnership, sponsorship uh, for Jesus, going on probably four years now, north of that. Um, And they're absolutely the standard in the online offshore odds making industry. And so, this interview, we dove into absolutely everything that comes with setting a line, how lines are set, what goes into that. Uh, we touched on everything from professional to public bettors, what separates them from an odds-making perspective. And uh, we touched on if uh, paying a premium for publicly backed teams like the New England Patriots, Dallas Cowboys, Chicago Cubs uh, is uh, is a real thing. And this is one of the most honest and informative interviews, I uh, really believe that um, that we've done on this podcast. Um, some other topics that we dove into into was the sharp and professional side of backing teams like the Cleveland Browns, the Jaguars a couple of years ago. Um, touched on some stuff as far as uh, betting disputes, um, prop bets with information that can be leaked out, such as color of the Gatorade, uh, halftime shows for the Super Bowl. Everything and everything uh, is in this interview. So again, this is probably the most informative from a bookmaking perspective since the risk manager interview, um, and I hope you guys enjoy it. And now joining me on the Inside Vegas podcast, one and only anonymous gambler, AG, the head odds maker for mybookie.ag. How are you today, my friend?
1: I'm good, Christian. Yourself?
0: Can't complain in the desert, man. How is the life of, of offshore and everything that comes along with it? Oh, well, you
1: know, sitting at the beach all day long has got its perks.
0: <laughs> I would imagine. Is there... Uh, so, yeah. just to get into kind of your backstory and kind of what brought you to this point in your career and, and into your life and everything, how does one end up living life on the beach as a head odds maker uh, at one of the most prominent offshore books uh, in the world?
1: So, uh, I guess I uh, started from the bottom, uh, say... Fourteen years ago, I was the frontline customer service representative for Bovada, uh, one of my competitors. Uh, I was the guy you called, and then I redirected you to security uh, payouts, poker, casino, whatever department you wanted to be sent to. Uh, from there, I just slowly worked my way up into the sports department, into sports supervisor. I eventually became the props supervisor there at Bovada, and moved on up considerably more uh switched to bet us where i was the security manager and then sports interaction uh, where i was lines manager and now i am the head odds maker at my bookie so i've slowly made my way up the industry to the position i enjoy today and enjoy it i do
0: yeah, I mean, anything when you can kind of make a career out of out of gambling, to me, it's it's the ultimate, and I couldn't imagine doing anything else. And it's for you to be on that other side of the counter. It's you know, it's uh, some people enjoy only one side of that and some people enjoy the other side do you uh kind of you know do you I don't want to say make bets yourself as obviously you are on the opposite side of that and the bets that you make are against your players and stuff like that but do you um were you was gambling always something that you were kind of into and just kind of fell into that side of the counter or did you kind of start off always knowing that you want to be kind of you know on that side of bookmaking
1: well, in the fifth grade, I was banned from the library for running a poker game. So <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I, I don't know that I was, saw this as my future, but uh, I fell into it rather nicely, probably the best way to put it. I never really gambled on sports until I got into the industry, and I slowly picked it up, learned what I could from people that I worked with and from those on Twitter, and there was actually, a, shockingly, a few sharp people on Twitter. hmm uh, so, you know, you just pick up whatever little bit you can. It's not like you can go to school to do this. Right. It's sort of you have to get experience, and that's the only way.
0: Yeah, that is uh, something that's kind of unique about this industry, right, from that side of the counter and is, you know, it's you kind of if you want to really start from the ground up, it would be a ticket writer to, you know, a supervisor to risk manager to, to odds maker. So, again, there's no vocational training for this type of thing, and it's all kind of based by feel and uh, experience within the industry. So it's kind of one unique thing about it. So we, again, when we, the first episode that we did from this side of the counter was Tom Drill, who is a risk manager at CGT. And I know that me and you were talking, uh, off air about kind of how Vegas is a little bit different in that they have specific odds makers and specific, uh, risk managers, uh, with my bookie dirty gene, you in particular, that's not the case. So you handle both of those sides, correct?
1: That's right. I, I do the odds making and then. Uh, the risk managing, I set the plan in place for our team to follow on how we want to trade according to how the action comes in. It's right. like I told you yesterday, I found it really strange that it was two separate jobs in Las Vegas It had me wondering this morning, Is it, are, are they unionized? I mean, I know a lot of the hotel is unionized, but is this what well, we call it the stage is where you take the best so the counter or the stage is, is that the same thing
0: um, they're not like a specific like union like that um, every book is different based on their parent company but every book that I have talked to uh, they have one specific oddsman or, or you know not to say one but one uh, person that only handles putting outlines and then they have one person who only handles moving them um, and obviously they kind of talk to each other and, and all that but their job is that's their only job um, and again, the challenges of that is is what you were talking about, which we're going to get into. Um, but so let's take it back and just let's talk about this from a very basic level. Uh, so with everything that's being, you know, outsourced is, is the big word, right? With these computer programs, these MIT guys, everything that's coming out. Uh, one question that I kind of got when I was kind of putting this out there as to what people wanted to know from an odds, uh, odds maker is, you know, the why are you needed question? Because in theory, uh, everyone, you know, it's, I don't want to say it's a dying breed because again, they're still here. They still have to, um, they have, a, you know, the most important job in the world. They're, they're, setting the lines, but in a world where now everything is outsourced by computers, you know, what is the, I don't want to word this. What is the best way to kind of, uh, explain to people that maybe not are so familiar with it of what an Ozmaker does and kind of how you go about, uh, hanging a line for a given day?
1: So, I mean, for the game lines, spread, total, money line, first halves, team totals, all that is, I'm not going to say outsource, because everyone has access to it. So, I mean, we all have Don Best, that's based uh, where you guys are in Vegas, Don Best displays the lines for every book out there. Uh, By and large, uh, Bet Chris, Bookmaker, and Pinnacle are the first ones to put their lines up, and everyone else just copies them. So, I don't know if that qualifies as outsourcing. Um, You know, you're going to look at the market that's out there and then set your lines according to that. So you want to stay within the market, obviously, or if your players tend to skew towards one side of the action, then you'll adjust your lines to take that into account before you open it. So the role of an odds maker lines-wise is you just, you really have to know your players, you have to profile them, you have to understand what they're going to bet, and then you adjust your lines accordingly before you open them for betting. Whereas the originator books like Bookmaker and Chris, they're putting up the numbers that they think is going to split the action and everyone else follows it. Uh, Most books claim that they are the source for for these lines. Um, I'm not going to go out and do that. I'm not going to claim that I'm the source for NFL Week 1 lines. I, I, like everybody else, copied Bookmaker when they put them up. Or possibly five dimes with their lower limits and adjusted to it. Exactly. uh, Yeah, and so, go ahead. I was going to say now for props, that's more in-house, but again, props, um, they're all derived off of the game line. So you're not actually handicapping things. You you are in the beginning, but once you have your algorithm built to split that game line up into the specific props, again, it's, it's just the click of a button and it does it all for you. So, I mean, you said there's MIT guys and computer guys that are coming out the books. I mean, I I guarantee you that um, our nerds are far better than theirs. (laughs) Exactly.
0: And so, you know, when some of the people I've talked to, including um, Jimmy Vaccaro and Chris Andrews, and they have kind of, you know, they have, you know, for NFL, for instance, they have their power numbers and that's how they make all their lines. Um, But at the end of the day, if the mark, you know, if, you know, one specific book, just say the South Point in Las Vegas, for instance, they make it a minus seven. Say Patriots versus Giants for NFL, right? But if the market and when they look around and bookmaker and all these offshore places are hanging uh, a minus nine, their pure number is minus seven. The you know maybe they'll get an eight and a five or eight and a half, but most likely they're probably going to go with that nine. And even so, it's it's just so weird to me because the. The every time I've talked to an odds maker or risk manager, they say the worst case scenario is getting middled, right? That's that's like doomsday, is what it seems like. But in in theory, I mean you can only get middled at your own shop. Is the my has always been my rebuttal to that. Um, is that something that you you know, I feel like bookmakers kind of are in a this pattern where they just refuse to kind of take a stance and be different. And if, if they feel adamantly, there's still nobody kind of taking that position in the marketplace. Everything is so uniform again, maybe a half point on an NFL game uh, for a side or a total um, any given way. Have you run into that where, you know, you make a game something, but the market is just wildly different and kind of, how do you handle that if that happens?
1: I mean, we go wildly off the market on a regular basis just based on our action and we just keep an eye on the other side to make sure that people aren't hammering into it like gamblers are very predictable they all if they're betting the favorite they're betting the favorite minus three minus four minus five they're still taking it so really your only concern is your sharp players that come in and grab the other side and take your your profit from you right and so uh, okay i so say being worried about being middled and all that is really not a concern at all that I have and so day one of bookmaking
0: is, you know, you get your, the whole point is to have 50% on this side, 50% on the other side, uh, and take your vig at minus 110 or whatever the juice may be. Is that kind of still the case today? Um, you know, when I was kind of, you know, looking into this and, and everything like that, that was the first thing, you know, God, this is probably, you know, two, three years ago when I kind of started, um, looking into that side of the counters to become a better gambler and stuff. Is that still, you know, the, the perfect dream scenario how often does it actually happen or do you often have times where there's just such a huge liability um, You know, for example uh, Conor McGregor Floyd Maywe- uh, Mayweather comes to mind stuff like that when there's just such a massive one-sided action or is it always uh, pretty evened out in that knowing that you have professionals to kind of always come in and take the side that is less appealing and the side that the house
1: needs in, in theory balanced action is what every bookmaker wants in practice it almost never happens I mean maybe once, once a week if that they are always going to be
0: offside. Yeah. Is there, um, I mean, what, again, this is the fact that you wear a risk manager hat as well is is just so interesting to be able to kind of to hit this from all angles. Um, Is there times when you just have to take your stance because you, you know, kind of um, believe in one side and believe in your numbers and just kind of trust that when things aren't running well or how does that kind of dynamic work when they're just kind of massively exposed or for the most part are you never really um, that massively exposed on one side or the other?
1: I mean, we'll never take a stand, per se, as if, say, Patriots minus 7, minus 110. If the, our players are hammering into that nonstop, we're not going to let them keep taking minus 110. We'll put to minus 115. We'll go minus 120. We'll go minus 7.5 because we know they're going to keep taking it. So that's bookmaking in its essence. You charge people for what they want to play. Mm-hmm. And if they're just going to keep playing one side, there's no one in their right mind is going to let them all hit it into at minus 110. Exactly.
0: Uh, So when I, again, when I was speaking with uh, the risk manager out in Las Vegas doing this, he said the, the misconception is that there's trap lines, that there's this or that there's that, that they're moving lines to kind of mess with people and this and that. And it's, he said, the only thing that will move a line is money it's uh, and people will move money or people will move lines tenfold before money um, obviously meaning uh, professional betters versus the public is that the case with you um, in in my and everything uh, in that it's more uh, people that move lines or is it uh, just purely based on money and everything like that from a risk manager side uh,
1: it's, it's either money that comes in or the market adjusting Mm-hmm. So you never really want to be too far off the market because you have to trust the math. Like you can't go against the math. And the way the market works is there's so much money flying in there. There's so many sharp bettors that the closer it gets to game time, they've pounded that line into what we could call the true odds of what it actually should be.
0: It's so that's the only ca- way. of, moving kind of on errors
1: into those? Like, uh, Yeah, but that's already built into the line before it opens. Awesome. So... Again, example, we'll use the Patriots. Uh, They maybe in real life should be minus one and a half to minus two. But we and everyone else knows that people like to bet the Patriots. So we're going to open that line at minus three. And by and large, all of our players will take that. Exactly. And there will be a few sharps that come in that take the other side. But again, like the the fallacy that sharp betters are widely available to a book is just not true i mean maybe one percent of your players are sharp what would and even if they sharp are betting to the you the uh sharp better to me is someone that's always taking value or always beating the closing line exactly so taking value is when we're hanging an off-market line and someone's coming and take the other side to yeah. me that's sharp You've done the math, you can tell that the odds are wrong, and you just blindly bet. Most of these guys probably couldn't even name a single player on the teams that they're betting, they just know that the math's wrong. Right, because
0: when you again, sharp is is to me is one of the most misused terms in the industry. All that being a sharp or being sharp means is you got the best of the line, and people have this you know connotation that you know again, the best people in the world can touch maybe sixty percent of this sometimes, and so being sharp is just getting the best of the line routinely. You know, professional is different than sharp. It's just a term that's kind of been so misused and everything like that. But one thing that you touched on uh, was the prop market and how that's all different. And in-house. And I have so many questions about this as well as uh, a bunch of uh, Twitter people that can, uh, when I put this out there, of things that they wanted to know. And one of the biggest ones was how you guys handle liability and handle setting lines for props that have predetermined outcomes. And when I say predetermined, I mean it's information. It's not box score, uh, such as the NFL draft, where players are going to go, the NBA draft, where players are going to go, uh, WWE, which is a literal predetermined uh, show. Um, it is what it is. You know, you can bet on Game of Thrones on some offshore book. Um, and, you know, truth be told, Offshore, um, in my book, e. E. especially, has tenfold the ability to put out props that Las Vegas does because Las Vegas needs a box score um, that was regulated by the Nevada Game Commission. It was only open to bet on the MVP uh, like five years ago for the Super Bowl um, because it wasn't in a box score. Rookie of the Year, those things are still not available uh, at sportsbooks in Las Vegas uh, due to the Gaming Commission. Now, obviously, being offshore, you have totally different rules and lack thereof, uh, for lack of a better term. Uh, so how does, you know, in a world where everyone wants to kind of bet on everything and, and, and of course, the degeneracy that comes with that, um, but Gatorade color, things like that that can kind of leak and everything, how does you as a odds maker or risk manager kind of set those lines when, in reality, uh, it's a crapshoot until the information comes out, halftime shows, uh, what people are wearing, all that type of stuff?
1: So for me, I just put myself in the shoes of the better and I think to myself, what are they going to research to bet this prop? And then I'll do that same research and I'll come up with a middle number that agrees with all of it. So my my decision as an odd maker isn't to try to pick who's going to win the game or the outcome of the event. It's trying to pick a number that's going to split the action and make them think about where they want to go. So, for props, the easiest way to do that is do the exact research that they would do and then come up with an average and throw it in the middle and let them decide which side they want to take. And then you would bust based on the action that comes in.
0: How late will you kind of hold things uh, in terms of, um, you know, if a uh, half the halftime song leaked uh, for the Super Bowl last year with Justin Timberlake. What would be the first uh, song that he started with? Um, and it it was you know with rebat functionality, uh, uh, professionals hit that. Oh my, it was like it was plus one twenty I think at start and ended like minus two thousand. Um, so once you obvious you know it's hard. To, and it's a market, it's fluid, right? Especially with such unique props. How can you kind of? How do you sit there and kind of decipher? You know what? Maybe we need to kind of get off. Or, you know, it, it's hard to get off that liability. Um, so how do you kind of, uh, you know, when is enough enough for you in terms of that? Or when do you, how do you kind of make sure that the information coming in looks accurate and kind of make that decision to pull it down or or change that number drastically? Or is it just the money coming in to try to entice people to take the other side by moving the other, uh, lines, uh, in their favor?
1: I mean, even if I know the exact outcome of a prop and what's going to happen, as long as the action is balancing and coming in and being spread around, I'm letting it sit up there. You know, as a, for instance, uh, the National Anthem this year. We had good information that it would be one minute, 54 seconds, but the market was two minutes, one second. And it was balanced, you know, the action was balanced. So we, we left it up there because people were betting it. We, we have good information, but we're not confirmed that that's what the outcome is going to be. Uh, so we just let them take it because they're betting both sides. I mean, again, as I said, the sharp bettors are so few and far between versus your squares that he missed that I'm watching soccer Um, a little Argentina, Croatia (laughs) yeah a little bit Uh, anyways the, the sharp action it's few and far between so as long as your square players are balancing everything out and taking both sides like let them have at it perhaps they have the same information that we do most likely they don't and they just want to get a bet in Exactly. So we'll we'll take it right up to the so that's kinda, time the game goes off.
0: Yep. So that kind of puts a bow on props and stuff like that. The next thing I want to get into is uh, season win totals, futures, odds, all that stuff. Because to me, I mean, when you talk about an NFL season, right? It's not that difficult to go through 32 teams, 16 games. Um, I mean, you can do that for each one and just say win loss. Uh, you know, in a very short amount of time. Um, but with uh, a <clears throat> in terms of uh, sports like Baseball, for instance, I mean, how does, uh, is that just an algorithm that's math, that's computers that make your job so much easier on when you set, you know, a season win total for a team like, you know, uh, for the Seattle Mariners, right, Um, with free agency, with trades that come, buyers, sellers, all that type of stuff. I mean, it's just to me, it seems like almost impossible, yet the numbers are so sharp and you guys become so great at what you do here that oftentimes NBA games come down to the final two to three games every single year. There's baseball, uh, total team, uh season win totals that do the same football that does the same. I guess my question for lack of a better term is how have you guys gotten so good in, at an area, um, with so little information to go off of in such a large kind of broad, um, spectrum
1: of, of kind of how you dig into that. So, I mean, back in the day, which for us is 10 years ago. Uh, you're, you mainly had one or two odds makers. The book it was in Reno. It's I've lost the name of it, but Chris Andrews was the one who set the baseball lines for it. He was always the first out. Stardust, maybe. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, he was always the first out with baseball lines, and then everyone would copy him and adjust the action, and and you would get smoked. Like no way around that. There was a lot of losses that went on uh, back then because bookmakers had included into the fact that. Places like baseball prospectus, uh, whoever Nate Silver worked for back in the day, they would do the their, yeah, so they would do their season projections and include in those were the season wins, uh, whatever they do. I mean, they're, I mean, I'm not a computer guy. I'm, I'm not a math whiz. Uh, I couldn't build an algorithm, to save my life. I can tell people how to build it, but to do it myself is it's just not an option. Mm-hmm. So like anything else, it's a prop. You find the people that are good at it. The information is readily available on the Internet nowadays. And you take their numbers and you come up with an average of them all and throw it out there. And then you let your betters put that number into place. So, I mean, when, a say, a baseball season win total opens, a lot of them will move two or three games mm-hmm. by the time the season actually starts. Uh, a lot of people think, well, you must have lost on that because the line moves so much. But like in reality, we're just moving it off of our sharp players to get it to a point where the square guys can bet either side of it and you know, we almost always win. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, I know you probably want some math trick or how it's figured out I mean if you ask me they're probably figuring out the win percentage for each game and putting it into a formula and out pops the amount of wins that the team should get
0: yeah no to me it's just so crazy how how good you (laughs) odds makers have become at this and for 162 games to come down for a season win total, to oftentimes uh, it's the same thing with NBA and NFL um, to be that close at the end of the day is so crazy. But uh, what I want to tie this back into is, uh, you know, you you can make this comparison to any sport, but NFL obviously is the most popular or college football. Um, are your lines built or are they taken, the season win totals taken into account, uh, when you're making your money lines, when you're making your spreads, um, in that, you know, if say, if you hang a a season win total, at eight and a half, there are eight, um, on the last game of the season. Um, and would that affect, you know, how much they're favored by, would that affect the money lines and different types of things like that? Or is it two strictly separate liabilities, two strictly separate uh, sets of lines that do not affect each other whatsoever?
1: They're completely separate. They have no effect on, on each other. Awesome. So your season win totals are essentially predictions on how you think the season would play out. But if you're in week 16 on the NFL, you know how that season's played out. What you've done for your season win totals is completely irrelevant to, to the game in question. Because things have changed drastically in the first 16 games. So if you were to rely on the research that you did for the season wins, you're... Up shit creek without a paddle basically
0: yeah and that makes so much sense it really i mean i think a lot of people think that one does affect the other a little bit um obviously the the liabilities in the futures market and stuff like that is separate and you touched on the fact of of paying a premium is very real for these publicly backed teams in the uh side and total markets um is it i mean it, the theory is always you're gonna have to pay a premium for and with the futures market with uh, teams like the Patriots, Michigan, the Cubs, um, the Cowboys. Is that also taken into account the same way that you have to pay a little bit of a public premium to, to back a team like the Patriots on a, a single week spread um, in the same way that it is with uh, season win totals, uh, a, um, AFC odds, stuff like that?
1: Definitely. Yeah. I mean, if the Patriots should be minus six, but I know all of my players are going to bet it, why would I put minus six up there? I'm talking about from a futures
0: perspective though, like instead of, um, you know, maybe the true number is, uh, you know, six to one, but you know that you're going to get hammered with Patriots liability in the AFC. So you hang a a two to one or the same thing with Alabama or the Cowboys or Michigan, Ohio state, those type of teams.
1: That's, uh, I mean, that's exactly what we do. Yeah, We know that they're going to bet that way. I mean, the, I guess the biggest misconception about odds makers or risk managers or whatever you want to call us is that we have some sort of crystal ball that, uh, can predict the future Mm -hmm. but really we're very similar to stock traders in that we want to sell for the best price and then our buyback is the other side which we also want the best value on Mm -hmm. so all we're doing is trying to put ourselves in a great position where say we can win two dollars on one side and and lose a dollar on the other exactly and yeah. it works the same way in future markets it's you know if, if i know a guy is going to bet the patriots why would i give him five to one when he'll be more than happy to take three to one yeah
0: the public and the general public at the end of the year
1: care. yeah they're not going to care and at the end of the year that's where we make our money you know getting a nickel here and you know an extra 10 cents there that adds up considerably put over a year and put over hundreds of thousands of bets
0: For sure. Is there, um, you know, I've gone back and forth on this and much like the word sharp, I think the word value in this industry has gotten so skewed as to what is is and what isn't value. Um, Because at the end of the day, I can get, you know, there's no value in a losing ticket. Let me say that. Right? So if you give me a thousand to one on the Browns to win the Super Bowl, um, if I don't know what to do with that ticket or I don't know how to hedge it correctly, or, then there's actually no value in that. And now, obviously, this is kind of digging a little bit deeper into the professional side and stuff like that, um, but is there... When we talk about value and trying to find these, you know, huge payouts in the long shots, is that more is futures uh, from that perspective more of a uh, professional or more of a uh, square side, public side, Um, or is it kind of split down the middle in terms of, uh, you know, let's say. Uh, the Rams are, are a, a very public team this year. The San Francisco 49ers, stuff like that. Um, when, and when you're talking about trying to find value in these, f- the futures market, especially from an NFL or, or college perspective, um, is that more of a professional or more of a public side to bet? Uh, you know, I don't want to say the Browns, but the Jaguars were always a public darling. Teams like
1: that that come up every single year. So I guess you have sort of two categories of sharp better. The first, and it's a very small number, are people that originate their own numbers. They are the guys, they're data scientists. Uh, You know, in real life, they're very skilled at their chosen professions, almost all involving some sort of prediction on what's going to happen, not for sports betting, but for, say, the medical field or uh, weather or... You name it, stocks. I mean, these guys know how to build those algorithms. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a very small group. They will originate their own numbers. And when they find value that's off those numbers, so say they have the Patriots at 5 to 1, and you can get 8 to 1 out there. So for them, that 8 to 1 is a value bet. The other type of shark better is the guy who plays the market. So he sees that the market has the Patriots at 6 to 1 everywhere but he has one book that will give him eight to one. So he'll play that eight to one and that's a value play. So the true value players to me are the line shoppers. they are people that have multiple outs, uh, offshore Vegas credit or PPH books, and they're just line shopping nonstop to see where these books have gone off market. And then they're betting. So that's, that's true value to me. Mm -hmm. You're playing off market numbers.
0: And that's, that's the end, at the end of the day, that's all what it's all about, is getting the best of the number, and uh, especially from a professional side. Because like you said, it, it makes such a difference when you look back at the end of the year. And if you're making thousands of bets, um, it, it's absolutely crazy. People really don't understand what that can do. On the other side of that, if you're coming to Las Vegas for a weekend or you're setting up uh, your first kind of mybookie.ag account, and you're only going to you know, bet, uh, I don't know, the World Series or an NFL for one week. At the end of the day, getting the best of that number, it may or may not matter to you. Um, So it's very different thought processes and kind of how stringent you need to be with that. But yes, multiple outs, everything like that, like you touched on. What I do, you know, when we touch on this, the big, I I laugh every single time that I talk about this. Um, I wanna talk about when you said value and everything like that off market teams like the Cleveland Browns that these professionals would not get off of. (laughs) Um, yeah, last um, season. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: me, the money losing man.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They would not stop trying to fade the Patriots and they would not stop trying to back the Browns. Um, and this was because the numbers were wrong, but it didn't matter because they were just such an anomaly of both how good new England has been, um, and how bad Cleveland has been, uh, against the spread or on a money line perspective. I believe they covered two or four games in two years. Um, and so, I've wrote this up a long time ago. In that the spread is kind of dying in the NFL. Um, I don't know if it's something that you've kind of looked at as well, but it's about fifteen percent of the time the spread comes into play. And what that means is, if a team cover, or if a team wins and they're a favorite, they cover the spread eighty five percent of the time. If they are an underdog, they win outright eighty five percent of the time. and Obviously. Um, not covering, but winning. Um, so, one with a team um, like the Browns, you know, when the numbers are just so wrong, are you happy to just kind of take that and say, um, you know, thank you for the to, for the getting helping you get off that liability for teams like that? Or how did that kind of play out? Because it was such a um, interesting dynamic to say the least that professionals were so willing to kind of uh, give money away and, and back this team, regardless of how bad they were. Um, they just would not get off of it. And I've always said professional betters are the most stubborn group of people in the world. They will lose six times uh, just to be able to say that they backed the Browns on that seventh time and they won while the public lost, even though the public is ahead uh, six games to, or six to one in the last seven weeks, you know, fading them. Um, what was that dynamic like, or was it just something? Something that was kind of came in, went, and didn't really pay too much attention to it.
1: For me, whenever someone's taking the value side, that that annoys me because that's my money. You know, that's you that's that? where we well, that's where we make our our bread and butter is the value side. Mm-hmm. So when someone comes in and, and takes it, you know, the theory is like, well, great, they balanced your action, but you know, to be honest, we don't need it. Um, we're more than willing to stand all of our liabilities and take the wins and losses as they come. So when you have a sharp player coming in and constantly taking the value, all he's doing is taking your profit.
0: Right. That's a side now, that I, you're a, I didn't even uh, think of. I don't think a lot of people would in that um, because they are on your side of the house um, so much that that's really what it is doing. Is um, You're right. It, it, that goes back to if you're willing to kind of take a stance or not, though, I think
1: as well, right? Yes, yeah, mildly. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, we're taking the stance and letting on the favorite side of things, it's generally the favorite for lack of a better term, we'll take a stance on the favorite and let them hit into that number because we know that the other side is the side we want to be on. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense.
0: Yep. And so was that, um, what do you, why do you think professionals were, were so, um, on that team for what's regardless of, um, how much money that they gave away for probably the better part of two years? Um, backing a team like that just because their numbers do you think it was just because the old school power numbers guys just saw a 2-3 point value um, but that needed to be probably 6-7 points of value to uh, think about taking that team?
1: You know, I'd be shocked to hear that any of the old school power numbers guys actually make money I agree with no that offense. statement. No, I do. <laughs> no offense. I mean, it, it was like, changed. you know, you're using the Browns as, as an example. Let me use the Jacksonville Jaguars from three years ago as an example. Yep. Sharps bet them every game. The Jags uh, would always open at six or seven, close at four. Constantly kept losing, constantly kept losing. Last year, they kept betting the Jags. Same thing. But now the Jags started to win. So it all levels out. I mean, people, like a big mistake that gamblers make is looking at a small sample size. So to to many people, the the whole season is a big sample size. In reality, small sample size. If you're a professional or a sharp gambler, you're not in it for one season. You're in it till you're in the ground. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of how you have to look at it. So I fully expect them to be betting the Cleveland Browns again this year, just like they did last year, just like the year before. And I'm sure the theory that they're all operating on is eventually – it's going to
0: turn around. Right. That is probably one of the best answers I've ever had on this podcast. And that from an NFL perspective, that one season is not a big enough sample size. And be, just because it was, uh, I believe they were two and 14, um, against the number, maybe three. Um, and uh, last year, uh, that to professionals that's looked at as a short sample size, um, Mm -hmm. That's probably one of the best answers I've ever heard. I love that because people look at things in a vacuum and they say, okay, this season they were so bad and they just um, kind of – there's two schools of thought, right? One is you just continue your numbers uh, from the the season prior, taking into account free agency trades, whatever the case may be, or you start uh, completely new. Um, So I think a lot of people, especially the general public, uh, you talked about um, you know small sample sizes and recency bias is very is very very real, um, and the value players are they know what got them to the dance right. And betting teams like the Cleveland Browns with uh, I don't know nine percent of of tickets on them um, is is has been proven to uh, get them where they are, and it's just they're not going to change. And I think that had a lot to do with it. But that to me was
1: just so fascinating. Um, you mean, touched on are going to be a, Go if you're going to be a professional gambler or a sharp gambler. You better accept that the vast majority of the time you're betting on shitty teams who generally have shitty outcomes, but the odds are in your favor. And over the course of an entire season, two seasons, three seasons, the math should come back to your side and give you a profit. I mean, you're only looking for 55%. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying that's easily done, but if you're trusting your numbers, you just have to wait for it all to come around.
0: It's vastly different in a sport like baseball as well um, because baseball is, uh, baseball is the, is the closest thing that gambling has to a stock market. Um, and I maintain that the, the best way to bet baseball is latching on and doing the same thing every single year. and it's the same stance that I take on uh, the NFL. Um, but, you know, finding – eliminating variance and latching on. So, uh, you know, buying a pitcher in the first five market or selling them and doing it every single time. And at the end of the year when you look and you see a, one particular pitcher is, uh, in, I don't know, you know, 25 and 10, um, that's when you can kind of sit back and look at that. But you can't kind of pick and choose because baseball – kind of a little bit unlike football is built on randomness and it's built on variance. How does kind of different, uh, sports and philosophies all tie in, or is it all just kind of a numbers game, um, from an Osmond perspective? Um, and it doesn't really matter, especially with a money line sport like baseball, where you can win three games and lose one, but you may still be in the red. Um, and where football, you can kind of get in, get
1: out, uh, and that's Vegas. Dave, is that you? Sorry, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) The Martingale system doesn't exactly work too great when that happens. (laughs) Yeah, the the cheese uh, system. I mean, it's, it's all math. It really doesn't matter what sport it is. Yeah. You're just playing the percentages. Cool, uh, from it, an odds maker standpoint, and from a sharp better standpoint. Yeah,
0: is there is it different for you in niche markets? This is another one that I really wanted to touch on because to me, uh, my most profitable sport to bet on has been the UFC, and it's a very niche market. And sometimes limits are kept very low, especially in Vegas, probably uh, nickel to a dime, unless it's a big money, uh, you know, Conor McGregor type fight where they'll open it up. Um, but professionals are notorious for betting small schools division two um fcs the wmba ufc all these types of kind of niches out there is there any you know in markets that are super kind of sharp heavy uh like the wmba is there anything else that kind of goes into that or do you, when you see you know professionals making a big money move do you take it kind of uh more valuable to kind of get off especially where there's uh, a less of a ticket count in those type of situations
1: yeah, I mean, we'll definitely move our lines more aggressively based on our sharp betters on lesser leagues. The simple reason is we know that we're not going to get the buyback.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, your square players tend to stick to the major North American sports here, at least. Uh, in Europe, they stick to the major soccer leagues. Uh, the lower down you go in the leagues, the less money's in there. Uh, the, the lines aren't nearly as sharp because they're not being batted around to get into the right position. So that's sort of that's why sharp bettors focus on those, is because they know that those lines haven't been properly adjusted by the market, just simply because no one's betting them. Awesome. So the lower the lower you go in a league, the more of your money comes from sharp betters. I mean, no, no one's betting Bulgarian Division Three soccer. <laughs> we offer it. Right. right. We offer it because you offer every sport. That's just what being a bookmaker is. But the vast majority of your action on. Division Three Bulgarian soccer is sharp players who focus solely on that league because they know the lines are going to be soft and then they just sit there and pick them off all day long. So I mean, to deal with those guys, I'll be honest with you, I'm not going to let you come in and take a dime on that all day long. You know, your limit's going to be $100 as soon as you start winning too much on the lesser leagues. And again, that's bookmaking and that's risk managing. You know, I love to see sharp betters on Twitter whining about how they've been limited as if it hasn't happened to them 50 times before and it won't happen again 50 times in the future. It's just that's part of the game. If you're going to be a sharp better, you have to know that the bookmaker is going to limit you when you're picking off soft wines. Why on earth would I let someone do that?
0: Yeah, it's a business and at the they, end of the day, right? And people they, are we're a so, business. yeah, people are so upset with that, and I've had it happen to me, and it is what it is. Um, again, it is you versus me at the end of the day. It's bookmaker versus gambler, and if you're taking things at a discount, um, you know, it, it is what it's part of it. But it all goes back to having multiple outs, like you touched on. Exactly.
1: I mean, I always tell people who want to get into this, you know, they're if you want to be good at gambling ignore trying to be a good handicapper and become a good line shopper. Yeah. Just being a good line shopper will put you into the, into the black. Even if you couldn't name a single player, even if you couldn't add up simple math, if you're shopping for the best line on every single one of your bets that you make, and you get the best line that's out there on every single one of your bets you make end of the year, you know, big sample size, you're going to be in the black. That's just how it works. But people, they don't do that. You know, most people just want action on the game. They're watching on TV. Like, I mean, have you have you ever tried to watch sports without money on the game since you started gambling? <laughs> like, it's fucking terrible. Like, who does that? <laughs> who does who does that? that? <laughs> I love it. So that's, that's where we make our money in that most people don't have the self-control, don't want to have the self-control. And all they want is a little bit of money on the game to make it exciting. And that can be a dollar, that can be $10, that can be $1,000, $10,000. In the end, it's the same experience for that person making that bet. You know, they get the gambler's heartbeat. Mm. Uh, The game gets more exciting. Uh, It's just mind-boggling to me how anyone over the age of, say, well, I'll be polite, 18, uh, could watch a game without some money on it. (laughs) How do you be a fan? I, I don't even know. To, to me, being a fan of a team is such a foreign concept nowadays yeah, that, yeah. Uh, <laughs> right, it's it just... I mean, obviously, people do it. Not everyone in the stadium is placing a bet, sadly. But.
0: <laughs> with, <laughs> with that SGP promo code on mybookie.ag, they should be. But no, man, it, it, you're so spot on. Being, you know, getting into this field and doing this full time, it has ripped every ounce of fandom I have for every New England sports team. I grew up in Boston for 26 years, first 26 years of my life, and doing this has, you know, thankfully, New or Boston teams are very good, uh, and so the numbers work out to where I want to be on on that side more times than not Uh, but I have have had to you know when I first started doing this uh, full time and professionally there was you know uh, there was times when you have to go against those teams and if you cannot separate yourself and take your heart out of it you're not going to do well in this field
1: it was like the old Simpsons episode uh, from years ago and it's Homer the Gambler yeah and uh, Lisa asks him who his favorite team on and he says whoever daddy has money on baby (laughs) (laughs) right Exactly. And that holds true. That holds true for the vast majority of us. We'd all turn our backs on our teams in an instant if it met hitting a minus 110 bet.
0: That's the name of the game, brother. But you touched on that, right? So hometowns. This is interesting now because now we're going to get into legalization and what this means for the offshore world. Because the offshore world changed Las Vegas forever for the better. And when I say that, that was the introduction of mobile apps. Las Vegas. I still don't believe Las Vegas is anywhere close to what um, offshore can offer. They just can't because of the gaming commission that you guys don't have to abide by. Um, but with the with states coming along now, New Jersey, Delaware. I think Mississippi's next, maybe um and whatever that is um i don't know if are you familiar with the company PropSwap? swap yep uh so those are guys that have been on the show they're very good friends of mine and they were talking i had them on a couple weeks ago and they were talking on the idea of being able to kind of fade markets right so if a a foxwoods in new england it's a, it's in connecticut but that would there's a uh, there's a wind coming to boston Those lines for New England, you know, it should be the same thing that the corner bookie is offering. If a line offshore is minus seven on New England, minus six and a half, seven in Vegas, it's minus nine in Boston. That is what it is. That's The premium is that big, right? And I'm sure that's like that in Chicago for the Cubs or the Bears or whatever the case may be there. Um, What do you see, um, you know, with you having to deal nationally, right, you don't have to worry about states, Uh, do you see an opportunity to kind of um, my thought process on legalization was that the market may flip a little bit in that these publicly backed teams that are now where, you know, New England, we keep going back to that minus seven, minus eight, maybe that minus nine, minus 10 now, because there's going to be such more liability. Um, And granted, it's separate state by state, book by book. So one really doesn't care what the other does. Um, But do you see that becoming, you know, kind of a trend in that if somebody can um, you know buy a ticket in New England, fading New England, um, and vice versa, and stuff like
1: that? I mean, that's how it works in Europe. Uh, Europe is the gambling model that everyone wants to follow because they've been at it for so long. And you know, if you're betting Bayern Munich in Germany, you're paying more than if you're betting Bayern Munich in Spain. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's definitely money to be made from a sharp better standpoint. I don't think it'll affect the market too much because if you pull up a list of every European book and what they're offering, they're all over the map. Right. You know, there's no consistency in the lines you're, you're booking towards your action. So there, that opportunity is there for sharp bettors, but at least the way it works in Canada is if you want to bet in Massachusetts, you have to physically be in Massachusetts. You probably also have to have a Massachusetts ad- address, uh, a hydro bill in with your Massachusetts address. Uh, Your IP has to come from Massachusetts. Yep. So you have to actually be there or have a good enough network to get that money down. Mm -hmm. That is a very, very small amount of people. Yeah.
0: It's the same people that daily fantasy is not legal in Nevada. Um, But again, we talk about ways being around it. It's the VPNs, it's the poker guys. It's those, it's a very niche community and that can get that type of stuff down. Um, But I mean, in a, in a vacuum, I want to know this. This is, one of the biggest things that I want to kind of um, ask you about is what does legalization and let's say in five years, it's legal in, I don't know, 25 States. What does that matter? Or what does that look like for the offshore world or does it not matter at all?
1: It doesn't matter at all. I mean, we, we welcome the competition, you know, bring it on. I mean, they can compete with us and then see how much better we do everything. And, Just them being around lessens the negative stigma against gambling. So there's a lot of people who think gambling is illegal or bad or immoral, whatever you want to call it. But the more shops that set up in their states, the more they'll become accustomed to the fact that it's okay to place a bet on the game. Mm -hmm. It's just like any other hobby.
0: It's just like the, the fantasy boom. It really is. And when DraftKings and FanDuel came along and they made, you know, fantasy football was kind of looked at as a degenerate thing. And, um, you know, now... It- Every, the leagues can't get enough of it um, because it increases viewership and I'm here to tell you right now if you think that if you're an NFL exec or whatever it is you think somebody's watching Miami play Cleveland on a Thursday night that it doesn't have a rooting interest outside of those two fan bases um, due to gambling and betting um, or again the fantasy realm uh, you're crazy nobody wants to nobody nobody cares nobody wants to see that again outside of those no, fan I mean, bases. They,
1: they would be streaming games for free on Facebook without gambling and I'm sure they all realize that
0: again yeah, mean, you know you,
1: you bring up a, a nothing Thursday game color rush uniforms that's that's their gimmick like hey they're wearing different colored uniforms they're usually just disgustingly ugly you know no one's turning it on to watch that yeah but the one-off games like Thursday Night football but those are great days for us uh, there's only one game everyone bets it yeah everyone because <laughs> it's on TV and what option a is talking to your wife and hanging out with your family and option B <laughs> is ignoring that? them and watching your bed on the Browns. Like it's a freaking no brainer what one you're taking.
0: <laughs> exactly. Is, um, so you touched on the word stigma. That's my next question. Depositing and withdrawal. There is such a, that's the one, I don't want to say downside, but, uh, when it comes to offshore, it looks sketchy. It comes from, you know, the credit card statements, maybe read something completely different. And that's just is what it is in this world to kind of get, get around the ridiculous law that was passed by, um, what would you say to people that, um, especially from mybookie.ag and everything that, that you guys have going on there, um, when it comes to withdrawing, when it comes to depositing, um, you know, the methods, there's this stigma around that, you know, you guys are going to close up shop, take their money, limit them, take their funds, and it, the offshore is, you know, it's it's always a crapshoot if you're going to get paid, this and that. Um, what do you kind of say to those people that maybe have been always kind of thought about going the offshore route, um, but they, um, you know, aren't comfortable comfortable depositing, you know, tens of thousands of dollars or even a thousand dollars in, you know, um, the withdrawal and deposit world and methods?
1: Use Bitcoin? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, that's sort of if you don't like the descriptors on your credit card, like there's a great option that's not traceable, that's easily converted to cash, uh, very fast on deposit, yeah, very fast on payout so if you don't like it like there's your way around it but what I find is most of them don't like is having to actually verify their identity so even if you're using Bitcoin you know you bet your ass we're going to make you prove that you're actually the person you say you are on the account Mm -hmm. and that's where I find the problem comes in is we want a copy of your credit card uh, the front and back we want a copy of your driver's license the front and back just so that we can prove that A you were allowed to use that credit card it's in your name and B you actually are who you say you are so that I mean we're not uh, money launderers here, right? You know, but we need to make sure that the people putting money into us are the people who they say they are, and that the people we're sending money to is the same person that deposited it. And that's the big stumbling point, I think, for a lot of people is actually having to give their true identity over to, a, you know, an offshore book or anything really where you. There's a level of trust that you have to get over that we're going to protect your information. And it, it is in our best interest to protect your information. If any of our employees do anything even remotely fraudulent or shady, they're out the door. Mm-hmm. Like, get the fuck out of here. We have no, no time for that. I mean, our entire business is built on trust. Yep and deposits, withdrawals. We want those out as fast as possible because that's what builds trust. We don't want people thinking we're holding their money to get a couple extra dollars of interest. That's not the case at all. You know, I'd love for them to get their money instantly. I'd love to be able to send it direct to a bank account from my bookie. But as you said, the PASPA, you know, the way those laws are, it's just not an option for us right now, as unfortunate as it is.
0: Besides Bitcoin, what is the easiest way uh, for withdrawal, would you say?
1: Hmm. Probably uh, we can bank wire or uh, we can deposit into your bank accounts. Uh, we can send you a check. They all take five to seven business days, which is standard across the industry. Uh, Those all the options are good. I mean, you'll get your money. It just won't be as fast as Bitcoin. Or you know, if we think back to two thousand five, when NetTeller existed and things like that, then it was instant. You know, no one complained because you you requested a withdrawal. It was in your NetTeller account a minute later. Mm -hmm. Things changed, right? Outside of our control, uh, we do our best to make sure that payouts go out in a timely manner, but sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. Uh, by no fault of ours, it's just to get the money there is not easy.
0: Right. You touched on it. I, again, it's having to comply with, with the laws. And, and, you know, it's the cost of doing business in this world and with the ridiculous laws that exist in the country regarding gambling. It is what it is. Um, but again, I can personally vouch for everything that is that is done at mybookie.ag. Um, mybookie.ag has been the official online sports book of the Sports Gambling Podcast in uh, this podcast since its inception, uh, running over probably, God, four or five years now. Um, so from that that uh, perspective, as a little plug, I, I can't say enough about uh, depositing and withdrawal methods um, from you guys. But I want to kind of um, wrap this all up and talk about a, cu- uh, a couple of you know, fun things. Um, do you have any good uh, kind of stories in regards to uh, people disputing things? Uh, the, you know, saying the color of the Gatorade wasn't that. The National, they timed it on their stopwatch and it was uh, different than what you graded it. Or, or anything like that. I don't want to say mistakes is the wrong word. But just anything that was kind of been off the wall in terms of you know, stories and having to deal with
1: the degenerate uh, gamblers of the world. Uh, I mean, every Super Bowl, someone is going to complain about the length of the anthem. Every Super Bowl, someone is going to complain about insert prop here and how it was settled. Mm -hmm. You know, there's always someone who either can't accept the loss, saw something that that they think we didn't see. Uh, So that's very common. Probably the most fun one was the cleavage prop, which is... Very popular every Super Bowl. Uh, will whatever female artist performing have cleavage? Yep. I think it was Fergie from a few years yep. ago. Yep. She had a low-cut top, but was there cleavage or was there not? And it was debated for weeks on forums, on Twitter, uh, gamblers calling in. Uh, the amount of. Pictures that were sent of her breasts were appreciated Uh, as people tried to debate, did she have cleavage or did she not? That was probably the the most ludicrous one that, you know, when you get into putting up these entertainment props, you're going to face it. (laughs) But, yeah, cleavage prop is always fun. Every Super Bowl, there's someone saying... Well, no, that—that's definitely not cleavage. And you're like, sir, like those are huge. You know, there's absolutely <laughs> no way that there's no cleavage. Like, it's physically sir, not. those possible. are boobs. <laughs> those are boobs. The math does not work out. Right? <laughs> so, that's uh, otherwise the disputes are the mundane. Uh, one of the biggest headaches was uh, the scumbag Tim Tim Donaghy. Uh, we all know him as the ref who fixed games and now he's, he's a tout on Twitter. Uh, Total piece of I shit. I did not know that he was a tout. That's awesome. <laughs> I won't say his handle, but uh, to me, he's a complete piece of shit. Uh, he ruined the integrity, not only of the game, but of bookmakers. Uh, indirectly, a lot of the blame fell on us. The amount of people that called in demanding that all their wagers on games that he officiated be refunded wow, was staggering. Of that. Yeah. It went on for months and months and months. So, I mean, there's a dispute which... Perhaps they had grounds to be upset. I mean, not perhaps. They definitely had grounds to be upset. He was fixing games. But a lot of the anger fell on us bookmakers. Uh, well, you guys knew. You guys were complicit in this yeah. when not true at all. I mean, we were in the exact same boat as everyone else that, uh, you know, the, the wool was pulled over our eyes and there was nothing we can do. And you have to tell these players, like, sorry, our rules say once the event is settled, it's final. It's the only way we can do it. Because if we we reverse the outcome of the event, then there's a whole other side of people that are now getting screwed over. So our only option is once the event is final and marked as final by the league, that's it. And it happens often in UFC where a guy will win the title, uh, get drug tested after the fight, three days later...
0: Everyone wants
1: their money back, yeah. The John Everyone John's. wants their money back, but that's not how it works. Yeah, Once The event is over. The UFC has said that this is who won, and that's how it has to stand. Yeah,
0: you don't get uh, your money back happened. on a Reggie Bush Heisman bet because you got it stripped 10 years later. Like, stop it.
1: Exactly, and, uh, and I'll tell you, people will call in, and they'll say, hey, they took his Heisman away, I bet this prop for $10 10 years ago. I want my money back. You scumbags. (laughs)
0: Jesus Christ, man.
1: (laughs) And we're just saying like, sir, like it's, I understand you're upset, (laughs) but there's nothing we can do. And the vast majority, once you explain it to them, they understand very few, uh, I'll never play here again you you thieves I'm gonna go on the internet and tell everyone about you yeah. uh, go and go tell uh, your you, hundred followers please yeah but again like they do that they pop up especially in the forums and every single response is well yeah I mean that's just how it is like what do you, what do you want is this your first rodeo
0: exactly man <laughs> but
1: again, that's that's new gamblers and we do our best in those situations educate them about how it is. Again, we're not trying to deceive anyone or do anything below board. I mean, we're more than happy to explain things and explain our positions, point them to the rules that state these things, give them examples of where it's happened in the past. I mean, anything to show them that we're not out here to screw them. Right. We don't have to screw players, right? That's the thing. No, no book has to screw a player. Maybe the credit guy with a hundred bettors has to do it, but For any of us big offshore shops, it's just, it's not worth it to ruin our entire reputation over $10. Yeah. It's, you know, it's just not happening.
0: Awesome, man. Um, I want to give you an opportunity. Um, is there anything else, kind of, um, in the odds making world, in um, in a vacuum? I think that this has been, you know, one of the most informative interviews that we've ever done. Um, in that, you know, people may think that you just have your numbers, you hang your lines, your risk managers move it. If that's the same person, whatever that is. Um, anything that's kind of um, connotations out there you want to uh, dismiss or, or address, or anything that's, um, I know you kind of did that throughout and talking about, you know, screwing over players or withdrawing stuff like that is there anything else that's kind of um, industry pertinent that you think needs to be kind of brought up and said uh, at this point?
1: Uh, on, on my side of the counter no but I could, I'll give some advice to anyone who's a new gambler or someone who wants to actually be good at gambling please uh, just line shop manage your risk don't chase your losses uh, you know there's always tomorrow and that's what gets people into a lot of trouble So line shop, manage risk, don't chase losses, and your bankroll will last a lot longer. You'll have a lot more fun. Uh, You'll enjoy it a hell of a lot more. And just follow those three keys and gambling will be, especially on sports, will become a lot easier for you. A lot less stressful. A lot less anger filled. Although, there's still plenty of anger. Uh, Maybe the final piece of advice is is when you cry, make sure you do it in the shower. Uh, That (laughs) way the tears don't really matter. (sighs) Nobody hears you too. Nobody hears you. Yeah, exactly.
0: awesome man Um, well where can people uh, find you on twitter Um, of course everyone knows that mybookie.ag again has been the official online sportsbook of the sports gaming podcast and the sports gaming podcast network for so so long Um, but kind of if anyone needs anything uh, specifically from kind of customer service or mybookie um, and you uh, in particular uh, or personally
1: I mean they can find me on twitter at anonymous gambler uh, at anonymous gambler but gambler without an e so g-a-m-b-l-r uh, feel free to ask me whatever questions you want. I'm very open on Twitter. I have no filter. I uh, will probably offend you somewhat, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> but I'm very open. Uh, anyone has any questions uh, about my bookie or the industry or their personal betting, I'm willing to help because I didn't get to where I am without a lot of people helping me learn. And I'm more than willing to pay that back.
0: So sweet 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 interview my man thank you so much AG again I can't thank you enough for taking the time uh, out of your busy schedule and literally hundreds of things that you have to do per day and hang lines for it and manage risk and everything that you do to, so for you to really take the time and answer some questions on, on again something that in someone in a field that is not always uh, the most I want to say upfront, front but it, there's a connotation that gamblers are supposed to hate you and you're supposed to hate gamblers and it, again it doesn't have to be this way it's a business at the end of the day it's us versus you but it doesn't mean that Know, I'm sit here and sing kumbaya but we can all get along at the end of the day and there's tips and tricks that can be learned from both sides of the counter um, again as I'm sure you know it with relationships you have with your sharp players if they um, you know uh, they can help you guys can help each other um, you know with information whatever it is um, and so um, again man thank you so much for coming on um, and again uh, please uh, as always uh, promo code SGP50 for 50% deposit bonus on mybookie.ag thank you so much AG